Street Smart Real Estate Investing. Welcome to the new innovative concept of real estate investing. No more expensive courses. No more high-priced mentors taking your money and leaving you without ongoing support. Become a full-time seasoned real estate investor by participating with our already successful team members. Now is the time to stop talking about real estate investing and start doing. Take action. Just ask and we will help you. We promise one thing, no BS. For more info, www.streetsmartrei.com. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hello, we are. And we are, we are online now. So thank you very much for showing up. And we have another close friend of ours, Mr. Michael Ponty and Jason Meyer and Yarek Buchholz talking about all one hour and a half, up to one hour and a half with uh, venture, with information, whatever it takes to become a successful real estate investor with Michael Ponty. Hello, Michael. How hey, doing? how are you guys doing? Nice to nice to be here. Nice to see uh, some friendly faces. It's, uh, it's been it's a pleasure to be here. So thanks. Uh, thanks for the invite, Yarek. Really appreciate it. And the time I, we've been working for like eight, nine, ten years ish. Yeah, that's a long, long time. Almost too long. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it takes. Yes. Whatever it takes, right? So, which, you know, maybe dogs ears too much, but yeah, it could be. very much so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Michael, you know, I've been knowing you personally and I can. I can talk about you so positively on a regular basis, doesn't matter with whom, because you are very uh, task-driven, you are a very likable person. At the same time, you want to help us many real estate investors, and uh, that's my personal opinion. You know, there is a pleasure, a privilege working with you on a regular basis. We've been running events, we've been running brainstorming about deals, leads, and everything, whatever it takes to become a successful investor. That's my personal opinion about you, right? Thank you. So would you mind telling to the attendees by your own word who you are, what what you have achieved, and introduce yourself? The primary goal of this workshop is very, very simple. Make people know who you are and sure. how you can help, right? Absolutely. So. Yeah. No, for – I don't know if – it's it's great to see some faces uh, – faces on the chat line just uh, now and and I, got, I want to welcome everybody to attend and I thank you for taking your time out of your precious schedule to, to come and have a listen but uh, uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to listen to some of the other presenters that had spoken earlier and man the content is phenomenal and and you know just based on the chats that I, I would imagine you guys would probably all agree uh, Jason had a great presentation and Darren phenomenal great great insight and great great information um, even for people that are seasoned investors and been doing this a long time you always get some great tidbits and information um, from others and uh, for me this is it, I really really enjoy being involved in some of this kind of stuff um, so anyway again thanks everybody for attending and I, and I welcome everybody uh, to have a listen to, to me and myself and what, what I've been kind of involved with um, so I'm the president and founder of Prosperity Real Estate Investments. Um, been established since around 2002. I should say I've been investing since around 2002. Um, kind of started just like a lot of people that wanted to get into this business a long time ago. It's, you know, for me, it was just kind of an interest, um, more like a hobby in a lot of cases, um, something that I was somewhat marginally passionate about. Um, and then just started to kind of really expand and, and grow the business itself. 
Um, and, and like I said, for me, it, it was really not designed to be a full-time occupation like it is today. It was really just designed as I wanted to own a couple of real estate projects and, uh, and just have a little bit of passive income. I didn't even really know what cash flow or passive income was. Um, so for me, it was, uh, yeah, it was kind of an interesting thing. So for at this point in time, we currently own a, a portfolio of over 175 units. It's a mixed bag of roughly uh, multifamily and residential properties. And we own properties uh, in Calgary and Edmonton, uh, Fort St. John. We've got some stuff in Halifax. So we're kind of spread all over the place, to be honest with you. Um, so like I said, it, it's been uh, a quite an entertaining and treat in regards to what we've been able to overcome and, and do in such a, I guess, in, in the last 15 years. Uh, lots of lessons being learned and, and lots of lots of knowledge, uh, lots of mistakes as well. Both hands, you know, lots of mistakes. And, and, and part of that is learning that. Um, and for me, and the reason why I love attending these types of things and presenting is to share some of those those mistakes and, and challenges with you. So you can avoid doing the same mistakes that I've made. And and, um, and this is kind of my way of giving back. And, you know, it's you know, the last thing I want to hear is people get themselves in a real tough position um if they had been able to learn from some of the experiences that i have so you know don't be afraid to ask questions i love when i come to present into events like that making it as interactive as possible uh, i see joe on the line thanks joe uh, but at the same time you know don't don't hesitate to ask as many questions as you want about myself about the business anything that you have and i'll do the very best that i possibly can to to answer that so uh that's a little bit of that's myself in a little bit of a nutshell um and uh yeah i'm here to answer any questions that you guys have so really looking forward to presenting so beautiful beautiful hey mike all right well michael i got a question here for you i mean you're talking that you know back in 2002 is when you started in real estate investing what really got you into real estate investing what was the the kick behind it why mm -hmm. real estate investing yeah no that that's uh it's a good question and one i get asked quite a bit to be honest and uh, for me, it was kind of an aha moment. And uh, I was working for a, a very large national food service company um, many, 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 many years ago, back in 2002. Um, and at that time, I was doing an extensive amount of traveling at that point. And I had a very young family for myself. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it was really tough having, a, you know, kids that are like one or two years old and doing so much traveling. And, um, you know, I kind of got to a point where I remember checking the mail and I had kind of two pieces of document. One was our property assessment. And then I also had my year end financial report from my stock portfolio and saw what my property assessment was versus what my stock portfolio return was. And I'm like, okay, I've been doing the stock thing for the last, you know, somewhat, you know, somewhat years. And I've only generated X, X percent return on my investment. And then I looked at my assessment and I'm like, holy crap, look at what this thing had kind of achieved in, in less than a year, year and a half. And I'm like, wow. So the light bulb literally kind of came on and said, I got to do a lot more of this and a lot less of this. And, um, you know, I was very fortunate. My father actually, um, he bought into where I live is out in Langley, British Columbia. And uh, he actually owned four acres of land out there. And he bought his property, you know, built his property. And, and when he bought it, he knew that at some point in time, this was eventually going to get developed. He didn't know the size or the scope of it. Um, and it was many, many years later that he actually retired by getting this whole property developed. So part of it is I was around it. I was somewhat involved with it. I didn't understand the whole development process. In a lot of cases, I still don't. That's not really my, my area of expertise, to be very honest. But I saw what real estate was able to do for him. And with 
what I did with my personal residence, it opened my eyes and said, hey, listen, I've, I've got, there's an opportunity here. I need to be putting some attention to this. And I think the world's kind of pushing me to that direction. And so with that being said, you know, I did a lot of reading, got involved with some networking groups as well, uh, talked to a ton of people uh, that were involved in the business as well. One of them that's on, on this line right now, so, and is gonna be one of the speakers. Um, but at the same time, uh, we'll mention names, but he's a good guy. So, um, but at the same time, you know, you, you're looking at individuals that are that are there to be mentoring and and, and supportive and really understand it. And uh, like I said, for me, that's how I kind of initially got started. And 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 when I first got started, it wasn't much more than I didn't really want to have a real estate investment business. I had no intent of it. It was I wanted to own a few pieces of property. I wanted to be be almost kind of like I was looking at more of a long term approach, kind of that old old mental uh, old school kind of mentality is buy hold until this thing is paid off and and eventually just you know retire with it. But I had no idea of where the scope of this business was going to go. So it was very very exciting. Um, you know, back in two thousand and two, you know, I bought my very first townhome, and and uh, the best part about it was you know a small little townhome, nothing really big. The property was generating negative cash flow, forty dollars a month, negative, right? But the way I looked at it at that point in time, um, when I looked at it at that point in time, it was like, you know, that's that's one meal or one dinner I didn't have to eat out at. But you know, to this day, I still actually own this property, and, and it's generating me like a massive amount of cash flow. And I have really no intent of actually selling it. It will be a long-term investment for myself, and just paying it off. It's almost paid off now. So now I'm looking at those as, hey. This, the first couple of properties that I purchased, I'm actually just going to give it to my kids and use that equity and that support to help them take off and do their own, you know, be it their own personal personal residence. Everybody knows in Vancouver, it's so bloody expensive. So if I can give them some assets or, or uh, give them some assets to get them started, that that was the way I kind of initially started it. But it's all changed when I first got started to where it is today. So yeah, it's pretty pretty exciting. It's pretty fun stuff. So very good. So let's let's ask the questions about anyone who thinking about real estate investing. They didn't commit it yet. What kind of things they should consider? What kind of advice you should give it to the, to them before even they start the business? Yeah, that that's a good question, and it it's not an easy one to be very honest with you. I, I think you know for the investor side of things, um, the first thing I'd probably ask them is. Do you want to run it as a business? So are you wanting this to be a business for yourself or are you looking at this from an investment standpoint? Are you looking to just like a stock or a mutual fund? Because the question is, if you are wanting to be an investor, um, are you looking to maybe wanting to get involved with the work, hiring property managers, realtors, building your investment team, uh, managing the day-to-day -day operations that come along with it? Or are you just wanting to be completely hands-off? And if you're completely hands off, then you really need to bring somebody on that's going to be able to do that for you. Somebody that's got a lot of expertise, a lot of knowledge. So be it a joint venture partnership or, or, or whatever the case may be. Um, if you're wanting to become a real estate investor and you are wanting to get your hands dirty and, and be involved in the process, my recommendation is get yourself educated first and foremost. And, and I can't enforce this enough. Like I can't tell you how many people that I've talked to that have got involved in the business and uh, you know they they purchased a piece of property usually somewhere really nice and tropical because they got sucked into you know you know all the beautiful parrots that are in the air and and all this wonderful stuff and they bought into this 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 property not necessarily knowing what the heck they're doing 
Um, you know, I'll share one story. You know, I had an individual, it's actually a client of mine now, and this wasn't one of my projects, this is beforehand, but you know, this individual had gone out and purchased property at a ski hill name not to be mentioned, and it's not Whistler, um, but thought it was a good idea to get involved in, and, and, and buy two condos because there's a new development and they just got, you know, emotionally attached to this thing. Um, and then so she bought two of these, not realizing that the market, this was just before the recession hit, so around 2007. And when the recession officially hit, she was losing $750 a month negative cash flow per unit, per what? unit. Okay. And that's a big gulp. And this individual is not making a lot of money. And so, you know, I was at, I was, I had an event and I actually presented at an event and she pulled me off to the side and said, Hey, this is the situation I'm in. And I'm I just like, yeah, let's sit down and have a chat, see what I can do to help assist. And so we kind of looked at some options for her. We're able to kind of do some adjustments. So the, the hit wasn't so bad. And it was just kind of doing some refinancing on some things. And the rate that she wasn't was getting in her program was just not attractive. But instead of $750 a month cash flow, we kind of reduced it by half. But the point of what I'm referencing here is here's somebody that went in there very ignorantly and not necessarily knowing what she was doing and just got very emotionally attached. And where this comes from in a lot of cases is, you know, people are watching TV and they're saying, oh, you know, flip this house, flip this. And they're, they're seeing and believing how easy it is to do it. Or they're talking to individuals and make the assumption that it's so easy. All I got to do is buy a property. I got to put a tenant in there and all this money is just going to come in magically into my pocket every single month because that's how easy it really, really is. It's not. It really is not. So regardless if it's a, a, a single a condo or a townhouse or a multifamily apartment building, it's a business. Once you have purchased a piece of real estate, you are now involved in a business and you have to truly treat it that way. And um, if, if you think it's passive, it really is not you have to be somewhat involved. The only way it is passive, passive is if you hire somebody else to help you purchase the property and they oversee the day-to-day -day operation. So you are actually hiring somebody for their expertise and education. But if you are really wanting to do it on yourself, if you really want to do it, make the commitment. It may cost you a few thousand dollars to do so. Um, and there's lots of different programs that are out there. Um, take the time to read lots of great books, um, you know, definitely network with some individuals, people that are going on calls like this, uh, webinars like this, they're here to learn. Take the time to educate yourself, uh, talk to people, network with people, reach out to people, ask for advice, uh, but take the time to learn first before you start to pull the, pl pull the trigger. So that, that, those are just a few things that I'd probably recommend, but education would be number one if you're looking to do it yourself first and foremost, so. Very good, very good. So a lot of people that, you know, have the J-O-B want to look at, you know, potentially becoming a full-time investor. Yeah, yeah. What advice would you give them? Yeah, that's that's a good one too. And that's, uh, you know, and I'll talk to a lot of um, individuals, investors, other people that are wanting to get started. And that's that's exactly what they have to say. And is I want to I wanna leave my job so I can actually do full-time real estate investing. Um, and I, so I kind of started my journey. I kind of felt the same way too. I wasn't overly excited about the company that I was working for back then. And I saw this as my opportunity to venture out. Well, when I kind of ventured out was just before the recession hit. And trust me, it, it was a challenge to, to say it lightly. And um, my recommendation for a lot of people is when you get started investing in real estate, really treat it as almost, almost kind of like a side hustle to begin with or a small little hobby just to get things rolling because it's going to take a very good real estate portfolio to offset 
your income. Um, so the approach that I would recommend for people would be, listen, if, if you really are wanting to make this happen, make your portfolio, uh, get it to a point where it's not just achieving what your income is today, but exceeding it before you actually make the plunge. Because things you got to take into consideration is, you know, market shocks, recessions, you know, higher vacancies, price drops. You got to ask those really tough questions. If a situation like this happens, am I able to ride that issue, ride that wave? So for myself, um, you know, this last year, year and a half has been a major, major pain in my butt. I've got a lot of properties in Alberta. Um, and you know what? We've been dealing with probably the highest vacancies we've had in the last 15 years. But fortunately, we've had really good systems. We got really good team in place that really be able to support it. But at the same time, you've had, you know, we had to have a good solid system in place to make sure we're able to override some of those things. So before you start to jump in, um, you just got to really take it easy and, and really, you know, really consider a lot of those question marks. My recommendation for a lot of people is if you are really unhappy with your job and you really are looking at uh, real estate um, to offset your income and, and that's your future career, I would say take it really, really slow. Don't be in such a big rush to do so. If you're really unhappy with your job, get a new job first and keep that as a side hustle until you be able to build uh, to build that portfolio. You know, if I look at myself now, or if I if I took a look now and uh, really. If, if I went to go back and say, and be able to know what I know today, the reality is I would have probably stayed at my job for probably two more years to before I actually pulled the, um, pulled the, pulled the trigger. And it's not, and the reality is it's, it's amazing when you get into a situation like that, when you want to motivate yourself and you, and you quit your job during a recession and, and you want to offset your income, you're going to be working your tail off, but you don't want to put your family and, and yourself into, into an awkward position as well. So take it easy, take your time. Um, build that portfolio relatively slowly before you actually start to pull the trigger on that. So that would be kind of my recommendation on that. So, so what kind of mistakes uh, real estate investors can make it an average or overall, right? Oh, what kind of mistakes can they make? Oh, so many. We're <laughs> <laughs> asking which mistakes have I made? <laughs> um, Let's start with you or then the other yeah. people. I think I've made a lot of mistakes in my life and, and like I'll probably share a couple of them with you for sure. But um, I think ignorance is probably the biggest one. Um, and it goes right back to the education side of things is, you know, people mm -hmm. make that assumption that they're trying to match up that whole TV thing. And, and they say, you know what, I can do this. If they can do it, I can absolutely do it. You know, if, if Yarek can do it, I can do it. If Mike Pawnee can do it, I can do it too. And, and it's, it's not that you can't, and it's not to discourage people that they cannot do it. But it, it is important to make take the time to educate yourself first and foremost. And, and if I went to look at a lot of the people over the 15 years, if there was one key thing that I have learned from a lot of the individuals is just the biggest mistakes a lot of people have made is just taking the time to learn. And uh, there's so much material out there that that's available to them that wasn't necessarily there back in 2001, 2002. There's so much more now with the Internet and everything that you know, there's really no reason why you couldn't do this. Um, probably the other mistake would be truly truly treating this like a business like I referenced before. And you know, I'll share a little bit of a story with you. <clears throat> One of my, I think it's my second property that I purchased many years ago. Um, when I got involved in this business, um, I really thought it was very, very passive, a very passive business. And so I hired this property manager at the time and, and you know, came in highly recommended. And um, 
And then for me, you know, I, I didn't go out to see my property and I, and I do teach this and preach this quite regularly that you should be in front of your property at the minimum is every six months minimum. Um, or, but you, either your property manager or yourself should be there at least every three months and just to check in on stuff. Um, so here's a circumstance where I was getting rent every single month. Everything seems to be okay through the paperwork and stuff. And then all of a sudden, um, I thought I'd go out and, and, and fly out to take a look at the property. It's been a year and a half, so I haven't seen it. So let's let's take a look and see what's what's going on. So, you know, went out, first property, I went to go see. Everything seemed to be working great, no problems there. Um, and then I went to go to my second property, and I'm here with my property manager, and we go knock on the door. And uh, the tenant answers, and I say, hi, I'm, I'm Mike, I'm the, I'm the owner. And uh, he introduces himself. And I knew there was an issue right from the beginning when the property manager actually introduced himself to the tenant as well. So I'm like, okay, that's really, really strange. And uh, once the door opened, it was like a punch in the face. The smell that was coming out of the suite was absolutely horrendous, just absolutely horrendous, had no idea what it was. And I don't know if anybody's ever been, ever watched that TV series, uh, what is it called? Um, Hooters? No. What is it called? Hooters? No. No, 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 it's, uh, what is it called? Uh, where there's lots of clothes and junk all over the orders orders thank you yeah, orders. Orders, yeah. thank you very much yeah that's right. what i meant orders yeah so hoarders so the hoarders episode this was actually alive and well in my suite you know it's just absolutely disgusting there's clothes everywhere it's just a disaster and so i was just absolutely stunned so as i'm walking on the main level get upstairs i still didn't come to the source of where uh, the smell was coming from and it, I just couldn't see it. There was no food rotting. There was nothing there. It was not until I got to the basement that I uncovered that they had a puppy mill in this townhouse downstairs. And that's where the smell was. And it was absolutely just thrashed. The whole house was just devastated. And um, so with that being said, you know, I came out of that suite or I came out of that property just disgusted and fired the property manager literally right on the spot without having a backup there. Um, and you know what, I could have blamed the property manager, but it really wasn't the property manager's fault because I'm the one that hired that person. And the reality is I haven't gone out to see that property regularly personally myself. So the blame really comes to here. And that came to the real big realization that, you know, real estate, no matter where you're buying, if you're going to buy in Costa Rica, you're going to buy in Honduras, you're going to buy in Edmonton, you're going to buy in Toronto, you need to be seeing your properties on a regular basis at the minimum every six months. Um, the other bit of advice that I tend to give is, you know, you make sure your property managers are seeing that property every six months as well. You know, you want to schedule those appointments to make sure that they're going in and then you ask for pictures. So you have proof that they've gone in to see it and get them date stamped as well. Um, so really it's just on the bottom of the pictures, there should be a, a timestamp or a date stamp to make sure it's there. And then, and then realistically, you know that this property is being managed accordingly, but you know, the whole point to what I was referencing is this is a business. So, you know, there's going to be lots of stuff that's going to happen. You know, um, some of the big other issues that we tend to see are people just not maintaining the property really well. Um, they're just trying to pocket all the money versus putting a lot of more preventative maintenance in the property itself to making sure that it's always shining, uh, looking good. Um, you know, there's going to be vacancies that are going to occur, renovations that are going to be needed, midnight moves, you know, furnace or hot water tower or hot water tanks going to crap out at roughly one o'clock in the morning. You know, the question is, do you want to be managing that or do you want to bring somebody else to manage it? I have no interest in doing that. If, if I have a property, if I purchase the property right next door to me, 
I would hire a property manager, period. It's just, I wouldn't, I don't want any involvement with any of that stuff. I want to hear the summary at the end of the month, but I don't necessarily want to be involved taking that particular call. And then, you know what I tend to find too, is you see these individuals that are just getting started, just beginning, and they are um, saying, you know, property managers are just too expensive. I, I'm going to lose cash flow out of this deal. Well, if your property can't afford, uh, pro if your property can't afford uh, a property manager from the beginning, it's a crap deal from the very beginning, period. So, you know, you've got to be able to budget for that kind of stuff. Um, some of the other small things, you know, make sure that you're investing in markets that have a future, not necessarily a past. A lot of people kind of jump on the bandwagon because Uncle Joe is saying this is a great place to invest. The market's been appreciating for 20, you know, 20 percent for the last year and a half. Well, what are the main fundamentals that are actually driving some of that? And, you know, ide ideally, with some of the things you want to be paying close attention to, maybe take some notes is you want to be looking for you know, population growth, where are, where's the population going to? And if the reason why the population is going there is usually because of jobs. So where are some of the major jobs occurring? Where's the job growth? Is there a major project or major job announcement that's occurred that's gonna be driving these individuals there? And that's great for us real estate investors because they're either gonna be tenants or they're gonna be owners. And that's gonna either increase rent or it's gonna increase the value of the property. In fact, probably in both cases. So you wanna be paying close attention to some of those things. So again, just to kind of offset the, the initial question, Eric, it's it's there's lots of things that you can make mistakes with, and 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 it goes right back to the same principles. Take the time to learn and and knowledge, and and talk to individuals that have been doing this a long time. And instead of asking about what are some of their success stories, ask them about tell me some of your worst nightmares that you've ever had. What are some of the biggest challenges that you've ever come across? Because that's where the learning is. That's where all the good stuff is. And that's the stuff that's really, really important. So then you can say, okay, I'm glad you told me that because you know what? I don't want to, uh, I don't want to get into that position. So yeah, so there you go. Very good. Well, we've got a question here about, <laughs> about you being a double threat. Uh, you know, first being very successful in real estate. Second, the question is how do I become as good looking as Mike? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wonder who asked that question. <laughs> Wow, that, that's a little challenging. I can't, uh, it, it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> you got a team behind you for this too, do you? Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of, you know, yeah, a lot of maintenance, a lot of maintenance, yeah. I got to thank my wife for that too, so. <laughs> you have to be having Portuguese roots, right? <laughs> hey, it, it just helps, Eric, it really does, honestly. <laughs> uh, that's funny. <laughs> So, so we'll get back on topic here. Um, joint ventures, um, obviously something that you do in your business. Um, they're real. What's the best way of structuring a, a joint venture deal or the best way to approach a joint venture potential partner? Yeah, that's a good one too. And, and for a lot of people, this is probably one of the most challenging things. And I tend to see people kind of, you know, I get pitch deals constantly all the time. People that are wanting to, um, um, wanting to bring on joint venture partners and they're wanting to uh, attract them. Um, in a lot of cases, people start to kind of say, hey, listen, you can make a 30% return on your investment year over year. You know, this is a great deal. This is a good opportunity. You know, you should definitely take a look at this. Um, but my experience kind of comes more, comes at it much, much differently. And it was actually my wife that brought this to my attention. And um, it was a long time ago when I started to cap out on the amount of properties that I was able to purchase. So I think at that time it was roughly around five or six <clears throat> where I purchased it on my own. And then I had investors coming up to me asking, you know, 
I'd like to, to partake in doing something. And that's kind of where things started to kind of be, be of interest and say, hey, you know what? This might be an, a, a real good business opportunity where I can raise money and use this capital to reinvest it back in the project. So, you know, again, for myself, you know, I was working for this relatively big company. I was negotiating multi-million dollar contracts. I had a lot of confidence and probably a little bit of a swollen head that, hey, I can raise $60,000. That's not a big deal. It shouldn't be a problem. And so here I am, I, you know, I put this massive binder together with, you know, all these details about the area, the type of property, a great budget, all this kind of stuff. Um, and then I would pitch it out to a bunch of people. Starting off, one of my first presentations was my brother. The presentation lasted about almost two, a little over two and a half hours of me just doing this, yabbering off, going through this massive binder. And the answer and the response that I got is, I'll think about it. I'm like, I'll think about it. That That's for, for sales lingo. That is, it's not happening, just so you know. <laughs> so after roughly around 20 to 25 presentations of pretty much the same exact thing, two and a half hours times 25 times 25 of, I'll think about it. I literally came back. I remember one night, and, you know, we're, we're just about to go to bed. And I was talking to my wife. I'm like, I don't get it. I go, you know, I, I thought I was a good salesperson. I thought I was able to approach this. And I'm, I'm just like, I just don't understand what I'm missing here. And she's like, well, why don't you pitch me? And I'm like, okay, great. So I pitched her and within about literally three minutes, it came to a point, she's like, Mike, just stop for a second. You're really not thinking about me. You're not thinking about where I'm coming from. And I'm like, okay, explain. She goes, I'm not investing in the deal. I'm actually investing in you. And I'm like, I had to kind of think about it. And she's like, she was absolutely right. The truth of the matter is joint venturing is in a lot of cases, not really about the deal per se. It is, can I trust my $100,000, $50,000 with the person in front of me today, be it Mike Ponte? So can I trust Mike Ponte with $50,000 or $100,000 of my money? Because the, the reality is that if they trust you wholeheartedly, 100% that they trust you wholeheartedly that you're not going to run away to Costa Rica with your $100,000, but you're going to do your part, work your tail off, and do everything you can to make sure you provide them with the best return on your investment. It's irrelevant in regards to the area that you're investing in or in regards to the types of returns because they trust you 100%. And it is a little bit of a different mind shift. So when people start pitching me 30%, 40% return, guaranteed returns, to me, it's more concerning. I get... I'm, I'm very cautious when people present something like that to myself. Um, and so the way I present it is it's all about trust and building that trusting relationship on the other side, really understanding what their goals and objectives are and, and seeing and, and being very honest, can I actually achieve that? And, and that's the real big piece when you're trying to raise capital is when people are at, you know, when you're trying to raise money, it's actually a double, you know, kind of not a double edged sword, but it, it's, it's an interview process between both sides. The question is, can you work with this person for the next five years? And can they work with you for the next five years? There's, it's like a marriage. And, and so you got to really ask yourself, can I actually work with this person for the next five years? So it is about trust. It's about having a good common relationship uh, between both parties. But the biggest piece is you are not selling the deal. It is about selling yourself because that's what they're actually investing in. And if they trust you wholeheartedly, you've built a good solid relationship with them they will invest with you and they will continue to. And, you know, that's the one thing that 
for myself and for my company side of things, I take a lot of pride in is I don't have one investor that's only invested in one of my projects. They've invested in multiple projects with myself. And, um, and like I said, part of it is just because we've built that reputation and, and that reputability in regards to trying to do the best we can, even during uh, tough situations like we are right now in Alberta, to do everything we can to help support them and their goals. So, so hopefully that answers some of your questions. So. Absolutely. Yeah, horror stories, right? Yeah. I like horror stories, right? So. Yeah, well, that's the thing, you know, for joint venturing, it's it's in a lot of cases too, and, and I heard the comment from Darren um, with his presentation, and I thought it was a very uh, good comment, actually, and, it's, and it actually holds true. So for those of you that listened to Darren's presentation, if you did not, I recommend you going and listening to it. He talked about uh, calm money, calm money, <clears throat> and that is absolutely bang on. Bang on, bang on money, to be very frank. Um, you have individuals that may only have ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars, but that is all the money they have. That's it. That's not calm money because you know what? They're going to be calling you. They're going to be bugging you, and they're going to be constantly nervous about the situation. And and that money is going to be very, very. Um, you're just going to be very, very involved with that. Where when it comes to calm money, and it's kind of high net worth individuals, those high net worth people. You know, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars in a lot of cases is nothing for them, and so for them, that money is not going to be calling you every second of the day to find out some information, to find out the details, what's going on. You know, this is a business, and and you've got to be able to manage your customers' expectations. So really, ask yourself, you know, is this the right partner for me? Yes or no? And he made a very good comment as well. When you're dealing with a lot of uh, non-com money, and I and I can't remember the phrase that he referenced it's going to be a lot more work and you're going to need to raise a lot more of it. So much more people involved versus calm money. It's a lot less people, but at the same time, they'll be a lot easier to be managing. So in a lot of cases, the bigger money is actually the better money. So nervous. Yeah. Nervous money. Yep. Yeah. So it was, it was, yeah, nervous money. Thank you. That was very, very good. So, you know, he was bang on the money. He was bang on the money with that. <laughs> but, but the truth be told is, you know, if you have the opportunity to deal with some high net worth people and, and individuals, those are the types of people you want to obviously get yourself involved with. And it is about building that relationship. They have to believe in what you are doing. Um, they got to believe in you. And if you're able to approach it from that angle versus selling, you know, 20 to 30% return on your investment, um, then you know you're going to have a good solid partner, a good solid relationship. And, and in the long term, be it three, five, six years from now, it's going to be really, really good. So. So Michael, uh, multiple units versus residential. What's your outcome? What's oh, your yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and another common question. Yeah, that's uh, it's a good one actually. You know what? And and I think there's pros and cons to both. I, and there's pros and cons to both, but there, from my perspective, there's opportunities in both of them as well. Um, you know, houses, you know, you can, you know, you're buying them based on kind of different circumstances from my perspective. Um, there's a lot more opportunities in purchasing really good deals and good prices in the residential market because you could be dealing with a lot of different individual circumstances, be it divorce, bankruptcy, foreclosures, people losing their jobs. Um, you know, you can get yourself some really good deals, some really great properties, maybe do some small renovations to this thing and, and, and flip them relatively quickly. Um, which is great. You can do a basement conversion um, and have this thing rented upstairs and downstairs and, and make some relatively good cash flow. Um, so there's a lot of those, lot more of those types of opportunities than you would tend to find in the multifamily world. Um, so from my perspective, that side of it is very, very positive. 
um, from the residential side. The negative side is, you know, if you're dealing to do kind of more of a buy and hold, um, say you do, you know, you buy a, a house and you've got the upstairs and the downstairs both rented out, you get one unit that's vacant. Now you're kind of dealing with a 50% vacancy. If, if you don't have a suited basement and it's just the one unit, um, you know, and it becomes vacant, you could also have a hundred percent vacancy and God forbid, um, you know, you have a high vacancy rate at that time, you know, you could be vacant for maybe two, three, two, three months. Are you able to offset that? So you got to be kind of prepared for that, but there can be some really, really good opportunities. So our business is focused much more into the multifamily world. But if there's an opportunity in, in single family that, that makes sense, I will jump in there right away. And, you know, I'll share an example. Like we had uh, one of my investor clients um, had, uh, had an interest in or owned three duplexes up in Fort St. John. And I wasn't involved in that market whatsoever. She was a partner of mine on another project. And she came to me and said, Mike, I, I was self-managing this thing. This has been a headache for me. I'd love to get out of this. I'll give you a great deal on this thing. And I'm like, well, you know, it's single family. I don't really want to get into the duplex side of things. I had really no interest. I go, you know what? Send me the details. I'll take a, take a quick peek at it and see what see what it comes up comes up with. So she came in, presented it. Uh, she wanted to sell it for $265,000 per unit. And I said, ah, okay, that, that's fine. So I started kind of doing some research. I actually took about a week, week and a half. This is how excited it was before I even looked at it because I really, really didn't have an interest in it whatsoever. Um, so what she was kind of renting for at that time was roughly around 1375 a month, roughly in that vicinity. So when I looked at the numbers based on what she had, the numbers were not looking that great at all. It just was not something that of an interest. So I was ready just to pull the plug on it, but I'm like, I'll do some research and find out what's going on. So as I started to uncover, I started to look at it and like, she's completely underpriced the property itself. And the property's value was actually around $315,000 per unit. And I'm like, and she just didn't do her homework or anything. And then the second part of this was she didn't want to lose her tenants. So she never raised the rents and the market rents at that time were roughly around $2,100 a month. And she was only renting it for 1375. So we had properties that were barely cash flowing and she was just missing the boat completely because she didn't want to lose her tenants. And I'm like, Whoa, Holy crap. I, I it was just shocking to me. And I'm like, listen, I can buy these properties, raise the rents um, and and make some great cash flow, literally six, seven hundred dollars per, per unit. I'm like, what? Yeah, it's a no brainer. Right. So then to me, I was like, well, this is phenomenal. So I did buy all three of them. We obviously negotiated because, uh, you know, we're buying more than one. So we bought it for two fifty five each. Um, you literally got some new tenants in there. We, we flipped them all out and uh, we raised the rents to twenty one hundred dollars was generating good cash flow. But we decided to, it was a short-term hold for us, so we only held it for six months and sold it for $325,000 per unit. So it was phenomenal. It was a good way to get in, get out. You know, it made $50,000, $70,000 per unit. Hey, who would love to, who, who wouldn't like to make that in six months? That's, it's, it's a great, great opportunity, right? So, and fortunately now knowing what's going on for St. John's, some of the challenges they had, we got out pretty much in the nick of time. So that was, it was a good investment, good deal. And that's kind of, that was a situation in single family. So that to me was, was really, really good. Um, and the multifamily side, it's, it's, again, it's very, very different. And um, where residential is kind of really more market driven. So uh, and what that means is really if it appreciates, if the markets are doing well, then the values also appreciate as well. Obviously, if you do some renovations, you can get some higher values too. But in the multifamily side, it is truly treated like a business. So it's, it's, it's based on evaluation. So it's based on income, 
minus expenses, what's your cap rate, what, what, what type of valuation is this business actually producing? And there's lots of ways that you can increase the value of your multifamily property by raising rents, reducing expenses, maybe finding some new income streams. So be it like in vending or storage, storage within the units itself, there's, you know, one of the things we've done is uh, a lot of, some of our buildings actually have these little storage areas right at the end of the, uh, um, end of the hallways. And we'd actually rent that out for storage for an extra 35, 40 bucks a month. And just small little things that you can increase the value of the property itself. Um, so you're looking at different income streams, look at, looking for different income streams, raising rents, reducing expenses, and it increases the value of the overall building. Um, and in some cases, and the best part about multifamily is if you have one or two vacancies, well, it shouldn't have such a significant impact to the overall uh, cash flow side of things. You know that most of the most of the cash flow is still going to be there with exception one or two vacancies, but it's not so detrimental as you would deal with a single family home where one vacancy is 100% vacancy or 50% vacancy. And that's kind of the one reasons why I like the multifamily side. Now on the negative side, expenses are much, much higher, significantly higher. So, you know, if you have to do a roof, you know, don't hesitate. That's going to be 30 to $40,000. So hopefully you've got some capital available to offset that or, you're needing to replace the boiler again. Anticipate another twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars to do so. Um, on the other negative side, commercial banking can be an absolute pain in the butt right now. For any of those that that know, it's a nightmare. It's just absolutely horrendous right now. Um, so, like I said, there's pros and cons to both sides. And you know, share another positive story. Like you know, when looking at the benefit in the multifamily side, um, twenty I think it's twenty eleven something like that. We purchased a twelve unit apartment building. In downtown Edmonton, and, and we were fortunate enough to secure this thing for eight hundred twenty-eight thousand dollars. Really, great deal. But this thing was just piss poor managed. Like it was just bad. Like we had vacancies in here. We had just the tenants were some of the worst that you could have been imagined, especially when we walked in there. Um, so when we took it over, we knew that there was a lot of work, and we you know we kicked out all the tenants. We removed them all. We renovated the suites. Spent a lot of money to make that actually happen. Um, improve the common areas. We improved the tenant profile, but with that, we were also able to raise some of the rents. Um, with that being said, we sold it at the end of 2013. So we bought it for 828, and we sold it for 1.4 million dollars in just less than you know two and a half, three years. And that's where some of the benefits were able to kind of come in because we were able to increase some of the rents, reduce some of the expenses side, and make some really good money on that. And I wish to, I wish I could say it was all because I was such a sophisticated investor. I'm so smart and all that wonderful stuff. You know, fortunately, Alberta was recovering from from a, bit, uh, a recession back in 2008, and you know, we purchased in 2011. The market started to improve significantly, so I've obviously got to give a lot of credit to that. But it sold very, very quickly because we stabilized that property. And we're able to get some a good valuation on that building because of the income side of things. So there's pros and cons to both. Um, and I encourage a lot of people don't get too hung up that, you know, my first deal needs to be a multifamily deal. You know, focus on what you're able to do now. And there's huge opportunities in single family, just as there is in multifamily. It's just a little bit of a different business. So that, you know, that's my recommendation there. There's pros and cons to both sides. So there's lots of opportunity on both. So. Very good. Very good. I, I got a question regarding joint ventures and sure. uh, and your apartments there. Um, what is a typical way that you're structuring those kind of deals? Sure. Um, so we set up a separate corporation for each one of our properties. Um, so let's just say subject properties. Okay. We, we, we've got a 10 unit apartment building. Um, hypothetically speaking, 
we've got this property, it's about a million dollars. Okay, so it's a million dollar property. And with the property itself, we need to raise $300,000, okay? Uh, $300,000. So with that being said, we will set up a separate corporation that actually owns that property, holds that property. And that corporation will have six shares in it, okay? Each share is equivalent to $50,000. That's $300,000, okay? So that would be the structure that we would have. So that corporation would then joint venture with Prosperity Real Estate Investments, which is my company. And in those six shares, uh, the minimum investment is $50,000. So if you want to buy one share, you can buy one. If you want to buy two shares, you can buy two. But each one is $50,000. If you come at me and say, hey, that's great. I love all the shares, but I've only got $10,000. My answer is each share is $50,000. And that's, that's the minimum that we tend to look at. So um, that's kind of the structure that we've, we've put in place uh, for our business. Um, so like I said, we deal with a lot of clients that are high net worth. They got lots of good, you know, high net worth, uh, they're accredited investors. And then for us, they are shareholders within the corporation itself, which then joint ventures with us, um, with prosperity. So hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, got one more that came to my mind here. Um, I was recently talking to another investor that, uh, happened to get CMHC financing and what didn't have to put down a full 20%. Do you know much about this? And if so, can you elaborate? In regards to getting less or just CMHC? Uh, just, well, yeah, less than 20, less than the 20% and having CMHC back. Yeah, uh, it, back it's a lot more challenging to get that these days. Those those are the good old days, unfortunately. I, I don't see that very often, to be, very, to be, to be truly honest with you. Um, right now, what we're tending to find is, you know, even like in, in major markets, 25, 30% is, is quite common. Um, you know, some of the deals that we used to do back in 2011, you know, the one deal that I even shared with you, that one there, I actually put 16% down on that one. And that was CMHC financing on that. And it was, those were the good old days. And like I said, right now, it's just becoming more and more difficult. And CMHC is obviously scrutinizing a lot of the deals. They're not as invested as they once were. They're trying to obviously reduce their uh capital outlay they're trying to reduce a lot of the risk that's involved and and you're seeing them kind of pushing away um in regards to the amount of business that they once were doing before so with that being said the banks in the past they used to always kind of depend on or used to use cmhc as their as their crutch or to be able to use that as as security to say hey listen we can do these deals at 16 17 18 percent down because cmhc will always back us up with this but now with cmhc not necessarily being as supportive as they once were banks are now scrutinizing these deals even further so so you know to further kind of enhance or to answer that question it is a lot more challenging it's not that it can't be done it is definitely a lot more challenging to get these things approved um in the in the good old days you know you used to see 30 35 35 year amortizations you're just not seeing to that same extent anymore uh the interest rates that you're you know obviously if you go to cmhc you get a better interest rate you get a better amortization and in theory you tend to always have a lower down payment um, but what's happening is CMHC is tending to turn down quite a few of these deals now, and you're seeing a lot of stuff going conventional. Um, the other part that we're tending to see a lot of too is even if you're trying to go to conventional or even through CMHC, the time frame to get some of your deals approved, it's significantly longer. So in the past, we used to see maybe 30 days, somewhere in that vicinity, three weeks to th 30 days. Now it's not uncommon to the process taking, you know, 30 to 45 days and sometimes even a little bit longer for the financing. So the banks are asking for so much more and CMHC, of course, because they're trying to mitigate a lot of the risk that's involved uh, and trying to really scrutinize the deal as much as possible. Um, and like I said, they, the banks have been one of the biggest challenges in the last few two to three years. 
And I think that we'll be continuing to be in that same situation. So again, getting into the multifamily side and to go back a little bit, because of some of the timeframes that we're seeing on how long it's taking for financing, um, you're tending to see a lot of people using private financing uh, to begin with, just to try to get the deal approved. And then after a lot of people will stabilize the property or do whatever they need to do and then refinance mm -hmm. it after the fact, they have more time versus going through the process of acquisition where you know obviously the seller's wanting to approve to do the deal. And if you don't have private financing to back you up, you're probably not gonna get it. So it's becoming more and more important to try to find uh, secondary financing or private financing just to begin with. And you'll have to obviously budget to have um, that higher interest rate for be it six months to a year until you can get the financing that you want. Um, but you need to secure the property first. So I hope that answers that question. So, so Michael, what what is your point of view uh, on commercial properties, this question is asked by Juan. Hmm. Uh, I'm wondering what he's referencing commercial. So is he talking commercial, commercial? Maybe Juan uh, can clarify. I, be, uh, I, be, I believe it office. Office. It, it's not an avenue that I play with, but I guess it varies depending on, on city and province. City and province, it, it does vary. Um, you know, as you start to kind of look at markets like Calgary, Calgary's become is a very, very tough in the commercial side of things. You know, we're dealing, I think we're roughly around 20 to 25% vacancy right now. And it's 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 a challenge. You know, when you're dealing with the recession that we're in and Edmonton's not far behind that as well. Um, so in that circumstances, commercial can be very profitable. You can get triple net leases on them. And you just need to get some really good, strong tenant profiles within, within the property itself. Um, it can be very lucrative. But at the same time, if you you really do need to have very good, strong tenant profiles within the property itself, because if you do have a vacancy, it is not uncommon to have minimum six months, a year, two years vacancy. So the question mark is, are you able to offset that while you're dealing with a certain situation like that? There's a lot of capital that's being required and needed for the commercial uh, the commercial world. So it can be really, really tough. So, you know, at the end of the day, if if that's the direction you want, you want to be focusing on markets that are having a lot of growth, a lot of a lot of fundamentals that are a lot of economic growth that's happening within the city where vacancies are kind of relatively low. And hopefully when you're acquiring the projects, there's some really good anchored tenants uh, with long term leases, hopefully triple net lease um, and that are going to be able to keep that that building kind of surviving. So I hope that answers the question. So. Um, one, if there's something that I'm not clarifying further, then, then let me know. But it is really depending on the area. Um, and there is opportunities in there. It does require a lot more capital. But at the same time, there's a lot of upside behind that as well. So, Juan mentioned office store uh, stores and shopping malls. Small. Same thing. Yeah. So it'd be all of that. Now, the, now, in the shopping center side of things, the thing I think a lot of people got to also understand, especially when the retail setting you know, retail is getting their butts kicked right now. And, and you got to be really careful. If you look at the announcement with Sears, um, that's a very big company that's been around for many, 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 many years. And so you got to really keep, you know, have a really good understanding of the types of pro types of companies that you're bringing in. Some of these smaller retails, it'll be interesting to see what's going to happen. It, it's really, really going to be intriguing. So. Absolutely. Um, Joe Migadel has got a two part question. Uh, okay. First, First question is, uh, are you able to get 60 to 90 days for due diligence when getting a property under contract for uh, apartments? Yeah, I would imagine that too. Well, 90 days is not going to happen, just so you know. Um, I, you know, in regards to the due diligence process, in regards to screening a lot of the financials, if that's the question, Joe, um, if you're screening the financials on the commercial property, 
you're probably going to get somewhere within 30 to 30 to 45 days, somewhere in that vicinity. Um, my recommendation and a tip and a little bit of a tip. And for those of you that are looking in the commercial world, this is the one that I tend to use. And I just used it for uh, two properties that we have under contract today, which works like a hot dam is um, we kind of reference um, the due diligence documents stating that once all the due, due, the due diligence documents are received, once it's all received that we have 30 days or 45 days to review it. Because in a lot of cases, those due diligence documents, if, if the seller's not organized or prepared, can take one or two to three weeks and you may be still pulling teeth to try to get information. So all of a sudden what you were hoping for was 45 days, you, you now only got maybe like three weeks left. And it happens every single time, every single time. So if you start it with this way and say, listen, once the due diligence documents have been received, the clock officially starts. So you would list, a li you put a list together of all the due diligence documents that you're looking at, looking for, and then you're just checking it off. And then once all of those have been completed, you sign off and say, okay, the due diligence documents have been received, that condition has been removed, the clock officially starts. And uh, I put that same clause for my financing condition uh, the appraisal condition and the environmental condition. So it's once the due diligence documents are received, everything else follows suit. And you'll have a little bit of pushback from the seller from time to time saying, well, listen, I've got all the documents. There should be no issues. We want to start the clock immediately. And then the answer is great. If you've got all the documents, this should be no issue because if you've got all the due diligence documents today, send it to me tomorrow. The clock officially starts tomorrow. No, what's the problem? It's really, really simple. And we've had that argument lots of times with, with several sellers and we've always pushed it through and it works really, really well because you know how often those due diligence documents are complete at the very beginning? Never, never, never ever, ever. And it always takes two to three weeks. We're dealing with the same circumstance right now on two properties that we've got under contract. Um, so the answer, Joe, is, is 60 days tends to be the longest I've ever heard. Um, in a lot of cases, it's 30 days. But as a little bit of a tip and a little bit of advice, do it the way that I've just referenced. Um, and you're going to probably have to talk to your realtor about it just in regards to how to approach that. And if people want more details about that, don't hesitate to give me a call or shoot me off an email. I'm more than happy to help. So, Wonderful. So Joe's second part was uh, he, he did reference back that the, it was also regarding due diligence on the roof, heat, rent rolls, all that. So, uh, yeah. you know, inspections, things like that. Uh, you know, you kind of covered that. Yeah. Um, so his other question is, what are your thoughts on mixed use residential up and commercial down? I'm seeing more of those being built. Yeah, it's the same thing, to be honest with you. So you really treat it kind of in the same way. Is commercial is going to be commercial, which is the kind of the commercial side of the building itself? Who are your anchor tenants? Are they going to be able, to, are they going to be secured? What's the type of arrangements that they've got um, in regards to their lease and, um, and long-term viability of, of those commercial tenants? And then the second part of that is the residential side, which would be the multifamily side of things too. Um, they can be phenomenal. They can, you're, you're getting, it's, it's a great way to kind of get involved in the commercial side, just getting started with it. And I tend to see a lot of those deals crossing my desk all the time too. Um, to be very honest, I've yet to really pull the trigger on the commercial side and, and we've just stayed in the multifamily side because that's, that's our emphasis. That's our focus. We've, done very well in that segment and we're going to continue to stay in that direction. It's not to say that there's no interest in the commercial side. Um, the, the thing that always concerns me more than anything is just having that capital to deal with some of the vacancies that tend to kind of come around. Um, with everything that you're tending to see on the, on the retail side, you really need to have some really good anchor tenants, some really good tenants that can really sustain 
the longevity. So if you've got like a clothing store um, and another type of retail setting, you know, you really got to ask yourself with the world of Amazon these days, you know, are these these smaller companies going to be able to survive and sustain the longevity of it? And if you go to any mall right now, you'll see a ton of different vacancies all over the place. Companies that have been around for decades, they're all kind of disappearing. And, um, you know, it's kind of an eye opener, to be honest with you, that the world in the retail world has completely changed. So, again, it's not to discourage you from the commercial side of things. The reality is you just got to be aware of it and you got to be prepared for it. So uh, there could be huge opportunities. You know, if you're dealing with somebody that's got a big, you know, uh, like a Remax office downstairs and they've taken the entire the entire uh, floor downstairs, understand exactly what type of growth they had. You know, are they at capacity? Are they going to be looking to move in the next three to five years? Well, who's going to fill in that space after the fact? You got to be prepared for that kind of stuff. So um, for me, if it was myself um, for the mixed use, I would like to have two or three different types of commercial tenants below me uh, with the residential side of things above. Um, ideally, even more so, I would love to have my residential being able to offset most of the expenses with the commercial side, um, really my income side um, and that provides even more security but you don't tend to see as many of those deals out there as we as they once were so can i add it some absolutely uh, residential with the small offices for the uh, for the home homeowners for the unit owners so they live upstairs and they have a small office downstairs yeah yeah that's what what i found it is very very attractive and quite a lot of developers building and Uh, working that way, right? So yep. you have a small office downstairs and you already residing in the same building, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you can Yeah, you see a lot of that even out here too as well in, in BC. Yeah. Um, some of the places in Surrey, you'll, they're actually like uh, townhomes in a lot of cases where they've actually mm -hmm. got a small little office downstairs yep. and it's, it's, it is storefront. And it's to your point, Eric, you know, they run an account, a small accounting office and they live upstairs but it's all one building. So there's lots of appeal to that for sure. So definitely. yeah, it's not that that's not available. It definitely is. So. And there is one question from Mr. Yarek Buchholz. Yeah, my favorite guy. <laughs> no offense, Joe. <laughs> okay, how do you find multi-units that they, that the most reliable way to find the best deals with the multi-units? Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm marketing on the word of mouth, realtors, uh, being known as a guy go to person for for investment etc right what i found it especially in canadian market there is so many crap where the cap rates are so horrible ridiculous right so how are you finding those deals are you finding them you know on regular basis and what's the catch right you know if yeah. you don't mind secret i call you later no 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 it's, <laughs> you know what I'll, i'll be very honest this last uh year and a half has been something else to be very frank. And, you know, if I looked at the strategy and, and probably some of our most success was occurring uh, after the 2008 recession, specifically in Alberta, <laughs> we agree. bought a ton of multifamily during just shortly after that recession. We were buying stuff at 65, 67, 68 a door, roughly around seven and a half, eight caps. Those are wonderful times, wonderful times, you know, and, and uh, I wish they would come back to be honest with you because, you know, the most recent recession that we're dealing with and, And it's, it's way worse than what it was back in 2008, 2009. It's horrible. And, it, you know, one of the things I was just reading is, is the worst recession in over 30 years. And, um, you know, I was like, okay, you know what? This is, this is actually great. We're coming back and we're going to do exactly what we did. And, and what's happened is the prices have not dropped to the same level whatsoever. And you're still seeing stuff 
five and a half cap, five point four cap. You know, individuals are just not purchasing what they were once were before, and or not selling what they were once were before. There's just not as many motivated sellers, so it's becoming very, very challenging. And so for us, the last year and a half has been very quiet, and I thought we were going to be very, very, very active. Um, mm -hmm. And so for us, it it's been a real big challenge, Eric and, and Jason. It's it is about networking, and you know the the couple things that we've been doing is we've been working with a lot of our realtor uh, our realtors that we've been working with, getting out there on the streets. Um, a couple other things that we've also been working with, um, believe it or not, is even through Kijiji and Craigslist and all that kind of stuff, and people that are actually posting ads for multifamilies that are have having vacancies. We're actually reaching out to a lot of the owners and just asking them a question. Hey, mm -hmm. you know, would you be interested in selling your property and finding out? It, it sometimes it's a hit, sometimes it's a miss because even the hit, what the owners are coming back with in regards to price is not anywhere close to reality of what we are looking to pay as well. So it, it's not easy, but I think the one common thing that the one common message that I relay, I, I reference is you just got to keep going and keep screening and keep pushing and, and never, never forget because there's always a deal out there. It just takes a little bit of time to try to find it. Um, and so it takes a lot of digging. A um, lot of research, lots of networking and talking to people until you find that right deal. And, and so if I share, you know, we've got this one deal, 15, um, 15 unit apartment building in Calgary that we've just got under contract right now. It's taken a year and a half to find this deal. This thing was just a really quiet deal that came across my desk from one of my agents. And my agent actually knew this guy and this person is actually in the middle of a divorce. This is the only reason why it's come up. And he's been able to get it, but he's owned it for a long time, but he's just trying to liquidate it. And we're getting it, you know, roughly around a 6.25 cap somewhere there, which is great for Calgary. Um, but at the same time, there's so much upside. Now, saying that there's requiring some work that's involved with it, but it, you know, we're looking at it from a more long-term approach. You know, my belief is Alberta is going to be a slow, very slow recovery for the next couple of years, but we're approaching it like this is a good acquisition today because of its location. Um, and secondly, we know what the upside will be three, four years down the road from now. So because we're not anticipating to see the same rebound that we had back in after the 2008 recession immediately, but uh, it is more of a long-term approach. It's consistently not to be get frustrated, just keep positioning ourselves and keep pushing forward. And that's all we've been doing. I've been pretty aggressive, aggressive at it. So, and, and most of the time I would say 98% at the very minimum, the deals suck. And, uh, and like I said, it's the 2% that we're wanting to pay attention to, to hopefully get that 1% that we can find. So I see. Okay. Very good. Yeah. I've got a question from Michael Swanson. He yep. says, if I purchased a suited property, can I purchase with 5% down if I live in the property? Uh, that's a good question actually. And, and the reality is probably relay that back to your mortgage broker, to be very honest with you. There's lot, there's lots of things you could, you, um, you could um, at the same, I would assume so. And there's lots of um, maybe not your top six banks, but there's other uh, B lenders that would probably maybe be able to do something for you. Uh, so Michael, my, my recommendation is probably talk to your mortgage broker to see if that's even feasible to make that happen. The regulations are changing constantly. It's always changing and evolving. Uh, so what the rules were maybe three, six months ago, they may be completely different from today. Um, so there's going to be a lot of different variances that they're going to be taking into consideration, you know, your debt service ratio, understanding what, what that's going to look like, you know, based, um, on the income side of things that you're going to be generating for the rent, they're only going to be taking 50% of that rental income as actual income. So even though you're making a thousand dollars a month rental income, and it could even be currently rented, the banks are only going to look at it based on 50% of that. So there's lots of different variables. And my, my recommendation is, 
talk to your property, talk to your mortgage broker, see what options there are. Your conventional six banks may not be able to do that, but there are other lenders that may or may, may not be able to do that. And if anybody needs a contact, let me know. I'll be more than happy to hook them up with uh, our, our one of our mortgage brokers that are our investors and they understand this game very, very well. More than happy to help. So, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I do know that in Saskatchewan currently TD Bank will accept a 5% as long as it's only got one suite. Uh, any more suites than now you're getting Probably into a totally happen. different game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next question we have is from Juan. Um, and the question is, what is the cap rate estimated for single family homes in Alberta? Oof. In Canada or in Calgary? In Calgary. Oh, to yeah. be honest with you, I, I, it would vary, to be honest with you, Juan. And I couldn't even comment on them, the cap rate side of things. It, it does vary. Um, yeah. The, you know, the market has been an interesting market, to say it lightly. It's uh, it's interesting to see some of the values staying relatively firm in, in some cases. But uh it is going to depend on the type of property, um, be it a, a condo, a townhouse, a single family home. If it's just a single family home, which is the single suite, um, it's it's going to be interesting. So, you know, it's really tough to determine. Um, you know, the one calculation that you want to be kind of referencing is if you're seeing something kind of in the, you take your annual rental income divided by your purchase price, it'll kind of give you this, this, this ratio. Um, so again, annual income divided by purchase price. Um, you want to be seeing stuff, you know, at the very minimum, kind of around that seven and a half percent at the very minimum and higher. Um, seven and a half is, you know, just barely kind of getting a cash flow. And, and you know, you're hoping to kind of see somewhere in the eight, eight and a half, nine, ten percent if you're lucky. Um, and that kind of give you kind of evaluation of if you're going to know if this property is going to cash flow. you got to be realistic with the rental income that you're also looking at. So, you know, sources, be it like rent faster, rent board um rental meter a few of these places take a be realistic with the rent and then do the calculation of your annual annual rent based on that type of property and then divided by purchase price it'll get you this calculation this ratio and for me anything kind of that you know seven and a half percent is is not something that i'm comfortable with i want to make sure that we're generating good good income on this thing um so i'm hoping for that kind of eight eight and a half somewhere in that vicinity and in this market right now it's very uncommon it's it's a challenge to be honest with you so it's you know that that's probably the direction i would i would reference for one um and if i can answer if you've got an actual property one that you want me to take a look at i'd be more than happy to to answer some questions on just send me a quick email I'll be more than happy to help so definitely just to elaborate about your feedback about market in alberta to be honest with you i've yeah. been monitoring I've been monitoring foreclosures, right? We, we go out on a regular basis and pull out the statements of claim. And I'm very, very surprised. There's no, no, no modifications. There's no up and down, regular number of foreclosures. With the current situation, I do not know what they do. More likely banks are negotiating and, you know, divert, divert, divert the payments or yep. there's no changes. Like, you know, 2007, that was the biggest, biggest boom. That one, the most of the money was made, to yep. be honest with you. Now, the, there is much higher, you know, vacancies, uh, unemployment rate, uh, whatever is happening in the current market, we know, right? I do not want to elaborate because I don't want to talk politics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, but it's very, very strange market at this yeah. moment. Well, you know, it's funny, Eric, I, I have a property that we sold. It was a 21 unit apartment building. We sold uh, around 20, late 2013. And mm -hmm. so when we started to see issues with oil prices, obviously with Saudi Arabia, just really opening up the taps and oil flowing mm -hmm. like crazy. 
again, we've been through a recession once before. We saw this starting to kind of come out of the woodwork. So we're like, let's take our money and run. You know, when we've got 67 a door, 67, 68 a door when we're selling, we did sell some of our assets. Um, and there was one property specifically, which is this 21 unit apartment building uh, that we sold for 119 a door. And it was a very short window, maybe about three, four years. Uh, we did very, very well with that property. But the individual that purchased this property uh, was supposedly a really savvy investor in in Edmonton, won't mention any names, purchased this property. And when they purchased it, they made the assumption that the prices were going to continue to go up, rents were going to continue to go up, and, that, and they based it on speculation. So when they purchased the property, you know, the cap rate for the prop, for the purchase was probably about just under 5%. And they paid top dollar, very low cap rate. And, you know, literally a year later, I was like, you know, I'm probably going to go back and buy that property from the same individual at much lower price because I know that property. I know how well it's run. I know what everything about it. So it was a common joke that I made. Trust me, I still keep a close eye on that property. I've reached out several times. The property is generating a significant negative cash flow. This property oh, is underwater big time. And yet there's no motivation to see it, to see a sale. And so it's quite interesting to see situations like that, especially when I know exactly firsthand this deal and yet there's no movement. So it really tells you kind of where the market is. And it's, it's just really interesting. And there's not a lot of, there's a lot of concern, not concern, confusion is the right word of why and how can this even be occurring? You know, when you're losing X amount of dollars every month, I just, you just don't understand how you can continue to support that. But hey. You know, that's the thing. You, you got to keep pushing forward, keep looking for the opportunities that, that present themselves and, and jump on the ones that make the most fundamental sense. And, and it's all about what are your goals? What is it specifically you're trying to accomplish? And don't just buy something for the exercise of buying something. Really focus on it. Focus it as a business. So are you buying for cash flow? Are you buying for the equity side? Hopefully for both. Well, where are those opportunities? And those are the ones you need to be paying attention. If you're just buying for the exercise of buying, you're going to be not much different than that that client of mine that got stuck with that negative $750 a month cash flow. Be understand the strategy that you're you're trying to position yourself and what you're trying to do this for, and and that hopefully will help provide a little clarity for you. So yeah, unfortunately, there is quite a lot of uh, such kind of investors which you know they buy in at the fair market value. There is no room for force for appreciation, and yeah. they getting stuck right. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know what you're talking about, 100%. Yeah. So, yeah. And there's quite a lot of that same, same kind of investors in Canada, right? But that's okay. You can sell it to them, right? More than happy to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any Thank other you. questions? Don't be afraid to answer, guys, or ask. More than happy to, and hopefully I can provide some insight. So, Definitely. So if there's no question, let's wrap it up. Yeah. You okay with that? I'm fine with it. Like I said, if, if anybody's got any questions, more than happy. And if they're kind of afraid to ask any questions online, um, my contact information is there. More than happy to help in, in any way possible. So uh, like I said, that's part of my way of kind of giving back. I, I'd love to share anything that I can to help you become successful in this business as well. So wonderful. <laughs> okay. So thank you very much, guys. Great. Absolutely. Thanks, Thanks again, Mike. Nice seeing you guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Take care. Pleasure, always. Straight Smart Real Estate Investing. Welcome to the new innovative concept of real estate investing. 
No more expensive courses. No more high-priced mentors taking your money and leaving you without ongoing support. Become a full-time seasoned real estate investor by participating with our already successful team members. Now is the time to stop talking about real estate investing and start doing. Take action. Just ask and we will help you. We promise one thing, no BS. For more info, www.streetsmartrei.com.